Hey friends, welcome to another episode of The Volume Knob, The Songs That Saved Your Life. This week, Jeff and Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap. Hey everyone, before I begin this week, I want to take a second to thank all of you who reached out to send messages um, about last week's episode. I am really moved that my mom's story meant so much to so many of you. So thanks. Uh, Thanks very much to all of you for reaching out. I also want to spend a second or two um, sending out special thanks to my amazing friend Cameron Metcalf in Ottawa who took the time to buy a marquee advertisement for the volume knob on the famous Mayfair Theatre on Bank Street in Ottawa, Ontario. Um, those of you who have lived in Ottawa know the, uh, the Mayfair and, and know what an institution it is so it was pretty exciting to see that old www.volumeknob.net in lights in front of the Mayfair. So thanks so much, Cameron, for that. And for those of you who are interested in what it looks like, you can go over to our Twitter page. That's at volumenob1, the number one. And our uh, profile picture has been changed to the uh, marquee on the Mayfair Theatre. So given that last week's story was a bit of a tearjerker, I thought I might turn in another direction this week and hopefully share some laughs with you courtesy of this week's guest. Hi, my name is Jeff Zimmerman, and I'm a comic and storyteller in New York City, and I am emotionally exhausted. The song that saved my life is Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap by ACDC. Jeff is the host of his own podcast is called The Reluctant Phoenix. I'd recommend that you go out and check it out. It's it's really worth a listen. He's also recorded a couple of fantastic comedy albums on 800 Pound Gorilla Records, and there'll be links to all of that stuff and Jeff's social media accounts in the show notes to this week's episode. Jeff's story starts in Western Australia. He had met a woman on a website called hotornot.com. It's kind of a proto-Tinder. And one thing eventually led to another. And we just struck up this like correspondence and it turned into phone calls and then I sent her a mix CD. And I don't mind telling you, I got some skills with a mix CD. I could make I could make a mix CD that would make Michelle Obama consider an open marriage, okay? So, you know, I sent her that and it's all over. And 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 I eventually sold all my stuff, like my van and my drums and my records and stuff, and bought a one-way ticket to Australia to meet this woman in person. And it kind of worked out enough to where I, I moved, you know, in with her in Perth and then was a undocumented immigrant and I was only qualified to do the loudest, hottest, and most blood-soaked jobs. We'll get to blood-soaked jobs in a minute, but it's worth mentioning 
that Jeff's experience in Australia included one of the most on-the-nose rock and roll moments possible. I actually vomited on Bon Scott's grave. Yeah, I was living in Perth, and we went down to Fremantle, and uh, we'd had a massive Aussie night the night before, right? Like, Jesus Christ, do they put it back. You know, we walked into the, the, the graveyard. It's not, you know, marked or anything, but, like, we went up so we couldn't find it, and there's a guy digging a grave, and he's just kind of ankle deep. And I was like, um, excuse me, could you tell me where he goes? He's over there, right? Like, that's the only question this guy gets asked all day. Make a left, you know? And so we go there and um, we're kind of looking at it. It's pretty well heaped with cigarettes and, you know, empty bottles and stuff like that. And, oh, it just kind of, you know, the night started coming back on me. I couldn't help myself. And I, like, kind of pitched over and let it happen. And, oh, you know fucking pressure washed Bon Scott's grave with vomit and then I was like oh my god what a what have I done and my girlfriend just pats me on the back and she's like maybe it's a fitting tribute you know and (laughs) he'd be proud if I told you that I vomited on Bon Scott's grave it should come come as a shock to nobody that I worked as an assistant to a kangaroo shooter in the Australian outback a lot of people hear about this and they go, oh, you know, like, oh, they just shoot kangaroos. But like, they're, they're like deer in the Midwest or, you know, in Canada, you know, they're just plague proportions. You just can't, you can't stop hitting them with your car when you're driving at night. So every year, the Bureau of Land Management or the SPCA, whatever they call it down there, um, they go out and they, they, you know, they go out in helicopters, they assess the size of the herds. They issue a certain number of tags and then you go out and you shoot those kangaroos and people eat them. Okay, people eat them, eat the meat and they don't volunteer for it. Yeah, they serve them for dog meat too. And you go out and you bag them and you bring them in and if they have those tags, you can sell them. So I worked as what's called the offsider, the assistant to a roo shooter, which means, you know, I didn't get the cool job driving the truck or working the rifle or anything. I would stand in the back of a flatbed truck I'd have a spotlight and we're driving around at night and I would swing the spotlight around and when the spotlight hits the kangaroos in the eye I mean it freezes their little brains for a little bit they're very stupid animals and then the guy Craig that I was working with had his a very custom windshield on his truck with these latches he would unlatch his windshield and it would swing down and he'd pick up a rifle from the passenger seat. The, the rifle got it to ride inside the truck. I did not. He'd pick it up and from behind the steering wheel, crack, like crack it and shoot the kangaroo in the head. And then I would have to jump down off the truck and run up to it, grab it by a back foot, drag it up to the truck and then like a golden retriever with opposable thumbs, you know, and drag it up to the truck. And then he would cut its head off because uh, you can't sell the head. It's just it's they don't pay for heads. He'd chop its head off. He'd chop its heart open to like let the blood drain out. And I'd get a machete, 
put its paws on a block, chop the, the paws off, throw those into the dirt, and then you'd bang it. He cut the tails off because he was like, oh, Aboriginals buy these a dollar a piece. They make a beautiful soup out of it, mate. Right? So people waste the tails. That's just money left out in the desert, if you ask me. Right? So, and then we'd get a meat hook, like a sharp S-shaped meat hook, and I would kind of bang it into the Achilles tendon of one of the kangaroo's legs. And then I'd grab it by the hook. And then I'd grab the animal by the by the nutsack. And then he would get a grip. And then on three, we'd sort of swing it up and hook the animal upside down from this cage around the back of the truck. And just repeat that, you know, between 12 and 36 times a night. And I got to tell you, if you got... If anybody's listening to this and if you got a guy in your house that you just need to get out and he's not volunteering, if you need to pick him up, I do recommend one hand going around the the testicles because kangaroo testicles are nature's perfect handle because they'll stretch, but they'll never break. Okay. It's like, it's not about his experience. It's about your convenience. You just pick them up, heave them right out. Right. So we would he we would get the kangaroos upside down. And a lot of people, you know, when I tell this story live, people, I don't mind telling you, I've told this story before a few times. But um, a lot of people go like, oh, when I say you're chopping the paws off. And it's like you were quiet when I said we shot him in the head. You know, like you were you didn't, you're not bummed at me. You're on board and you're mad at yourself. If you're going, oh, not that one. <laughs> said shooting kangaroos right up at the top where'd you think was going to happen you know so it doesn't get after school special halfway in right you're in now right you're you are in you bought the ticket when you pressed play on this you read the description you know you looked at your little looked at your little itunes description and said "Ooh," and click play so really it's your own fault right at this point <laughs> You know, as you as you as you wait in line at Burger King, right? So, <laughs> listening to this in your car, fucking spare me. So, um, <laughs> you know, oh look, Taco Bell's having a sale. Oh my god, this podcast is so brutal. <laughs> I got to tell you, there's no light out in the desert at all. The only light came from the truck and the spotlight. And otherwise, it is pitch black. It's so black that if I'm facing into the darkness, I can't see my hand in front of the face unless I aim up at the stars. It's indescribable how beautiful the sky is out there. You can tell the difference between stars and satellites and airplanes. There's shooting stars. You can see the Milky Way. You can see galaxies up there. It's breathtaking. And then I would kind of look down at the Earth, and it's just murder, you know, like because like it's a messy job. We're in the dust. I'm covered in blood, which is basically gluing dust to my body. Neither of us are wearing shirts. Neither of us are the kind of people that you look at and think, "Oh, I wish he wasn't wearing a shirt." Craig is like, if you took several crocodile dundees and wrapped them together with barbed wire to make a Voltron of crocodile dundees, 
The guy is just wrapped in bullet-riddled leather. He's got calluses behind his earlobes, you know. Not really big on positive reinforcement either, I'm going to say. But, like, some of... Okay, like, if you're a fat guy, they'll call you two dudes or a salad dodger. You hear that once or twice, it's charmingly abrasive. You hear it two or three hundred times, it starts to hurt your self-esteem a little bit. I mean, I admittedly... I wasn't supposed to have that. It was a wrong job for me, right? But I just, when I was reading about it, I was like, well, you know, I've never done this, but I've listened to a lot of Slayer and read a lot of Hunter S. Thompson. I'm quite sure those skills will translate into something this badass. They do not. Turns out your media consumption does not prepare you for equivalently badass jobs, right? Most people that do cool badass stuff listen to like Third Eye Blind. They, they like have the worst music tastes. They're not fun. They just do this one thing that's cool, and then it's Law and Order reruns and you know Billy Joel's greatest hits. That's the way it works mostly. have a lot in common me and craig you know uh but i just want to earn some respect here you know just to get him to shut up or see me as an equal or i don't know like i mean listen like why am i doing this why do i have this job in the first place well because uh i'm writing a story about it for vice magazine but that's not the real reason the real reason i have this job is because my grandpa was a welder at NASA, and he helped assemble what became the first Apollo moon lander. My dad was in the CIA in the 80s and um, discovered things about the Soviet military that the Soviets didn't know. And I edit tweets for a shampoo company, you know, like trying to get back on the family tree here. So we were driving around one night and um, drove her over a sharp stick or something. We got a flat tire. And I was like, finally, this is something I can do. I have changed tires before. This I can handle. So I was like, I jumped down off the back of the ute and I was just like, uh, the truck. And I was just like, Craig, I got it. I got it. Why don't you go ahead and take five? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to handle this. And he's like, really? And I was like, yeah. And so I, I get the jack out and I'm kind of finding a spot and on the back under the truck and I jack it up and I kind of ro- crawl under there to look up and see what we're working with. And um, while I'm looking up, we were on soft dirt, which I forgot about, you know, and so the jack gets like pushed down into the dirt and it starts to fold over. And I was like, oh, God, no. Oh, God, no. Oh, God. And then he, the whole truck just goes and boom and it falls and. It just like, fortunately, the shocks kicked in at the last second. So the undercarriage of the truck just goes and like kisses the tip of my nose, sparing me from the world's shabbiest death, you know, telling somebody to tell my mother, your son's gone. Yeah, his yeah, crushed his own face underneath a truck of kangaroos in the middle of the outback. Uh, She'd be like, well, it was on brand at least. So, and I was just like, oh, God. And then I felt this cold liquid, like, dripping and onto my face and neck. And, uh, you know, and I was just like, what is it? Oh, God, what is that? Have I burst? Have I, like, caused a coolant leak or something here? Because, 
you know, the the Outback Sun is so intense that if you don't have like a plan to get out of it at all times, you're gonna die. And then it turns out, true believers, it turns out that uh, the good news is that I had not caused a coolant leak. It was simply cold and congealing blood falling out of a kangaroo's severed neck stump into my mouth. And so I, once I realized, I was like, ah, God! I did what anybody would have done, right? I issued a series of high-pitched and girlish squeals and <clears throat> jumped up and was like, ah, yuck, 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 get out! Like that, spitting, dancing around. Craig just looks at me and he's always, he was always honing a knife on a honer. So, like, just imagine looking at a man who's covered in blood, honing a knife, and he's the guy that's going to get you home. It's the middle of the night, nobody would know. I've seen a lot of horror movies, you know? I've seen, I've seen a lot of horror movies, and this is a scene. You know, and he's just thought you knew how to change the tie, mate. And I was like, yeah, I do in America, like in a driveway when when it's light out. And he goes, and I was just like, relax. You know, I'm going to get back under there. I can take care of us. I can take care of myself. Don't worry, man. And he just keeps going. And he goes, well, you know, about taking care of yourself, I could ride on my cock with a mob. So we finally, you know, we go back to the camp. You know, it was one of those days we're sleeping. We're sleeping next to a diesel-powered meat locker. So it's hooked up to a generator and just going all day. It's got got earplugs in. And when it's 110 out, you don't, like, just sleep for eight hours. You take a series of naps. And what you do is you get up and you're like it's so hot and dry you're actually a smaller person every time you wake up so i get up go outside go to the bathroom take a you suck on the faucet from the rainwater tank and fill myself up and then just like sweat it out until i woke up again and like I had only brought one pair of jeans, right? Those are my working jeans. Because, like, at the end of the interview process, when Craig hired me over the phone, he goes, right, we're meeting at the train station tomorrow at dawn. Fucking pack light, eh? And I, I, he didn't offer any instruction as to, like, what the what the dress code was. So I just threw the one pair of jeans in. And then we just hung out in our undies around the camp all day because it's crazy hot. And... Those jeans just got so soaked with animal blood throughout the week that, like, they were like this wearable scab I could peel off at the end of the night, and they sat, they stood upright. You know, they looked like the invisible man was wearing them. I could just lean them like a broomstick in the corner. And I'd lean them on the opposite corner of my room so all the flies that would have tried to drink my nostrils and eyes in my sleep would instead gather around the jeans, which I thought was a pretty impressive little life hack. So one day I got up, went outside to go to the bathroom, came back, get back to bed and I remember I was reading Kurt Vonnegut's Cat's Cradle and just thinking you know the earth covered in ice nine sounds really good to me right now you know and um, I looked over in the corner and my pants were gone 
So I'm looking around to find him. Still sitting on my cot. And I leaned over and kind of looked under my cot from the bed. And I saw this black shape just like like whip out from under. And I was like, whoa, what is that? And I looked more closely. And it was the tail of a six-foot-long monitor lizard that had gotten into my room and was eating my pants under my bed. It had gotten into my room when I was outside, and my pants are so soaked with animal blood, it thought they were meat, and it's eating my pants under my bed. I, like, whipped my book at it, and I hit him in the ribs, and he ran off, but he's got my pants still in his mouth. And I was like, oh, fuck. Like, I really can't show up to work tonight in my underpants you know, no pants because I've allowed a lizard to steal them. So it's running off with my pants and I got another book and I threw it like it was a ninja star and it, you know, and it hits the thing in the head and it spat my pants out and it ran off. I'm going back into my room with my pants and they shut the door. And I think to myself, like, I have got a cool little story about how I handled it. And I'm going to just drop that one into the conversation tonight. And Craig will know that I am capable and competent. And uh, I just can't wait. And so I'm getting off to sleep again. And then the walls of the shed, because it's just one piece of corrugated tin curved over like that with other tin slides. And so the, the whole thing just is going wob, 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 wobbling like that. And then he just pow, kicks the door in. You know, and he's just standing there silhouetted in the sunlight and he's wearing he's wearing these little black little marble bag ass underwear, nothing else. And the filthiest pair of Uggs you've ever seen. Squalid Uggs. That's what people... He was like, ah, fucking Uggs, they're beautiful. You know, it's like putting your feet to bed three hours before the body goes. Right? So when I came back to America and, like, Paris Hilton was wearing them, I was like, what the hell are you doing? This is, anyway, so he kicks this door and he's standing there silhouetted. He's wearing these little marble bag underwear. That's what Aussies call budgie smugglers, I'll have you know. And he goes, you. And I said, well, oh, geez, Craig, did you let that lizard steal your pants, man? Because I was able to, I was able to handle the situation and hang on to mine. I'm, I'm starting to question your outback abilities, man. And he's just like, you fucking knew about this and you did nothing. He's like, knew about what? And he goes, come here. And he like grabs me and drags me down to the camp, the kitchen. You know, it's just like a hot plate and a cooler there and the lizard had gone into the kitchen i guess and and grabbed the cooler and thrown it on the ground and all our eggs and milk had spilled out and cracked on the ground and it had licked it licked it up with its nasty little fork tongue dancing around making the world's most horrific french toast batter and then he chased it off into the desert and you could see it's like S-shaped like tail and little feet marks as it ran away. And he goes, right, when one of these comes around, you run it off the property, right? You run it off completely. It's not just you and your little challenges. We're a fucking collective unit and you've got to remember that, mate. How many times? You just, you just only what you're worried about. It's only your struggles. God. Fuck. 
And I said, you know what, man? All right. The next time an enormous lizard tries to eat my pants, I'll observe the protocol you just laid down. But it's like, it's like, don't tell me that that was written in an instruction manual that I neglected to read. Like, this is, do I sound, listen to my voice, do I sound like I know what to do with a giant monitor lizard? Do I? Do I? Like, I, 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 listen, I'll, I'll make the shit out of a web page, okay? But this is new. There is a learning curve. And and he was like, it's not that hard, mate. He just common sense. Oh, common sense, common sense. I don't spend my life doing what you do, living how you live, walking around, you know, murdering kangaroos for work and then punching sharks in the face for fun or however the fuck you relax. And he's like, oh, you Americans and you fucking sharks. So scared of your sharks, aren't you? And I was like, yes, we're scared of sharks. That's because sharks are monsters. And he's like, you know how you never get bitten by a shark? And I was like, how do you never get bitten by a shark? You don't go in the fucking ocean. Problem solved. No, you're so scared of sharks, right? They're not monsters like your bears. And I was like, bears? And he's like, yeah, bears. And what are you talking about? Oh, I've seen a fair few nature programs. And I reckon bears can swim. They can climb. They can run. The only thing they can't do is fucking fly. Right? If a bear wants to eat you, you're fucked. You've had it. And I was like, yeah, I mean, you're not wrong, wrong, but it ain't like all that. And he was like, what are you, what? He said, look, I've camped around bear country many, many times. And I, here I am, you know, alive and disappointing to you, you know? And he was like, you what? Yeah. Man, I was into, I was driving through, I was outside of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho one time, and we were camping in this national forest, and... You know, I mean, a bear came out of the woods and it's like <laughs> sniffing around the tent, <laughs> sniffing the car. But we locked a lot of the food in the car and we tied the cooler up between two trees and it just kind of sniffed around and it got real bored and then it left. And that was it. He goes, you, you camped with bears. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, oh, oh I'd have been so bloody scared. They broke something open for us, you know, and um, so finally, at the end of the trip, we were loading up to go home. He just wanted me to talk shit. He just wanted somebody to talk shit with him and, and fight with him the way he was used to and not, like, tiptoe around it. And so, like, when I when I started breaking his balls, that was when I really started getting, getting parody with him. So like we were loading up, we were loading up the truck to drive all the way back to Perth. It was like a ten-hour drive. You got to do it overnight so the sun doesn't hit the meat and cause it to spoil, and the flies don't catch up to it. Right. So as the sun goes down, we're like loading these kangaroo carcasses out of the freezer and putting them into the truck, and then covering them in burlap 
and then I had to hitch up a trailer. He was going to back up and um, hitch the trailer up. And I was like, hey, do you want me to like stand in the truck here or stand over to the side to hitch up the trailer? How do you want this done? Thinking in my head, like, because I know you're real specific about which way things get done. So let me just ask. And he was like, what do you fucking think? I'm just fucking goddamn. Have you fucking learned anything on this trip? And so he like didn't mind it when I threw the spare tire at his head. I, it just like, I don't even remember throwing it. I just saw my hands in front of me and the tire was flying at him. He's like, dodged it. He goes, nah, 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 easy now, easy now, easy now. Just put the ball into the socket and it's going to be fine, mate. All right. It's going to be fine. So we loaded up for this trip and we're driving back and we like, we were driving all night and we just were listening to the same like warped Johnny Cash tape and with Elvis on the other side over and over. Johnny Cash one side, Elvis on the other. I hear the train a coming. Which like after about eight hours starts to wear on you. I shot a man in Reno just to watch. So we finally like at dawn we're outside of Perth on this kind of Overlook, getting ready to pull down on the highway and drive into the meat processor. And he goes, all right, it's been a long trip. It's going to have been a rough one. And um, I've been holding out on you. I've got to confess. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, I've got something up my sleeve here. He goes, after a real rough one, I like to uh, like to treat myself in the offside as to something a bit special. Just commemorate the occasion. I've got a second cassette tape in the truck. I was like, oh, do you? And he goes, yeah. Now, if you'll just join me here. And he sticks the tape in, and we drive our, like, blood-covered truck laden with kangaroo corpses into the city. He hits play, and it's ACDC's Dirty D's Done Dirt Cheap. No shit. And we're just like pulling, we pull into this meat depot, right? And there's all these roo shooters coming in from all over the country fighting over, hey, cut me in fucking line, mate. I've been here for hours, right? Like offload, quibbling about the price of goat meat versus kangaroo. And it's just like, got a lady and you want a gun, but you ain't got the guts. And it's like, oh, I've got the guts. They're all over my shirt. Hungry If a writer, if a TV writer came up with it, he'd get laughed out of the room. But it's just that on the nose that it really happened. And I mean, I don't know if it really saved my life or not, but it was a very small but necessary moment of pleasure in an otherwise completely brutal experience. <laughs> Thanks for listening. The Volume Knob is a weekly exploration of personal stories and the power of music. It's produced by Semblevin Audio and it's made entirely by me, the podcast producer who also dodges salad. My name is Keith Siri. If you haven't already, I'd be honored if you took the time to share a link to the podcast with a friend who loves good music and good stories. If you do social media, 
You can follow the show on Twitter at Volume Knob 1 or on Instagram at Volume underscore Knob. Be sure to get over to the website, that's www.volumenob.net, where you can find links to information about Jeff's comedy, a link to his podcast, which is called The Reluctant Phoenix, and also a link to this week's playlist, which is inspired by Jeff's story. This week's playlist is entitled, That Lizard Ate My Pants. Finally, thanks to Katie for her 30-second review of Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap, which actually reminded her of the kind of music she likes for a change. So, what did you think? Okay, well, for the first time in ages, there will be a positive review. I found it quite amusing, um, and I felt that there were some deep parts into it that were very drumming. I don't, I don't know if that's a word. Is it? Very drumming. Very drumming. Um, they were very, we'll say, intellectually interesting. Intellectually interesting? I, I don't know what that means. It reminded me of the stuff that you used to like when you were really little. Yeah. Like what? Um, I don't know. Heavy metal? Motorhead. Yeah. See you again next week on The Volume Knob for more stories about the songs that saved your life. <laughs>